Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I just find God is faithful. Even when I'm faithless, God is faithful. And uh, we've been talking about faith, by faith. And you know, when it comes to the offering, when it comes to our tithes and our offerings, when God says in his word, hey, I want you to give a tithe, I want you to give the 10%, or he prompts our heart to give above and beyond that with the offering, how many of you know it's really not about the finances as much as it is about trust? It's really about faith. Do I, do I really have faith that God is able to provide for me? Do I really have faith that God can pay all of my bills? Do I really have faith that God can meet every one of my needs? And the scripture says that he meets all of our needs according to what? His riches and glory. It's all about him, right? It's his. We're just the stewards of it. But the question is, do we live as stewards? Do we live open-handed? And so I just want to challenge you today that it's not about finances. It's about trust. And do you trust the Lord enough to be obedient? in what he asks us to do. Let's bow our heads and just thank the Lord. Father, we thank you today that we can trust you. We thank you today for the many ways that you provide. And Lord, how oftentimes you don't just meet the need, but you go above and beyond. And Lord, even give us the desires of our heart. Father, I just pray that today, as we trust you with our tithes and our offerings through our obedience today, it's under worship. We live open-handed, Lord. Uh, saying, Lord, you gave, and we are just giving back a portion to you, knowing that, Father, you never leave us nor forsake us. You never see the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. But, Father, we can trust you. Bless these tithes and these offerings. Use them to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and generosity to the Lord. Again, uh, this is a generous church, and so I appreciate each and every one of you, how weekly and, uh, and, and monthly you sacrifice and give and just want to encourage you with that well today we are continuing the series that we've been in in Hebrews chapter 11 by faith and uh, and so I want to ask a couple of questions as we get started this morning and the first one is how do you feel about waiting anybody like waiting if you've ever if you've ever been to Cedar Point you know what it's like to wait in those long lines to get on those roller coasters that you're on for a couple of minutes and they turn your stomach upside down um, but waiting is just something that I think is a part of life. When I go to the grocery store, uh, I oftentimes, depending on, on where I'm at, I'm looking at the aisles and I'm trying to determine which aisle is going to go the fastest because I don't like waiting. Anybody ever done that before? I, I don't know about you if you're as calculating as I am, but as I'm going up to the, to the grocery aisle, I'm kind of peeking around. And, and not only do I want to see how many people are in line, but I want to see how much they have in their cart or how much they have on the belt. You know what I'm talking about? And, and I'm trying to assess. And if you go to the grocery store at a particular time regularly, you also know schedules, and you know certain people that are working, and you know that there are certain people that although their line looks longer, they're faster at getting you through, right? And you also know there are certain people, and, and this is what frustrates me, they like to have a conversation about every single item that they're scanning or that you bought or they pick out one, and, and it becomes a conversation. You're thinking, I'm never going to get through because rather than scanning the groceries, they've got to stop, hold it, and have a 30 to 40-minute conversation. Of, no, maybe not that much. About Anybody know what I'm... Does anybody get frustrated by that? I, why? I, cause I, I, because, because I don't like waiting. I don't, I don't like to wait. In fact, you know, I don't, I don't, I, when, when I'm coming up to a light and it's a two-lane road, I oftentimes like to move over even if I know I have to get back over because I don't want to be behind somebody because they might not go as quick as I want them to go when the light turns green. I know none of you are like that. You all are just super patient, right? You don't, you don't get like that at all. But, but, you know, whether it's the grocery store line or, or, or whether it's, you know, waiting in line at the bank or the post office or waiting behind lines or, or here's one, you, it's, it's just, you, you go, I just need to get gas. I just need to pull in quick and get, you pull in and every pump has a car, right? And then you're like, who do I pull behind? 
I want to pull by the person that's not going in to pay cash. I'm going to go by the person that wants to stick the card in and go really quick, right? Who is that? I, I don't know about you, but waiting is just one of those things that is really, really tough to do. I mean, truth be told, most of life is waiting, isn't it? It's waiting for an appointment to see the doctor, which seems today like it's harder and harder to get an early appointment to see the doctor. You wait to graduate, or you wait for your acceptance letter from college, you wait for a, uh, for, a, for a job offer, putting out your resume and waiting for them to call you back. You wait on test scores, you wait to see if the bank will give you for a loan, you wait to start a family, you wait to see if you're single, God, are you going to bring me the right man or woman, how are you going to do that, is that going to come quick? Sometimes we wait for prayers to be answered, life is waiting. And when we look at the subject of faith, we can't help but see that one of the major elements of faith is waiting, is waiting. In fact, over and over again, if you do a Bible study, I'd encourage you to do this sometime. If you have a concordance or you go online and you, you get to search one of those word searches that kind of pulls up every scripture in the Bible, type in wait or waiting or a derivative of that and see how many verses actually come up. I'm not going to go through all of them, but here's a few that I found. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 7, we read, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. When we're tempted to take matters into our own hands, Proverbs 20, 22 offers this counsel. Do not say, I'll pay back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. How hard is that? Isaiah 30, 18 expands on the time frame, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And perhaps the most famous Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. How many of you know that waiting is something that we see in the scriptures? Waiting on the Lord is one of those things that we see over and over again. Whether it's the Israelites waiting on the Lord to bring them out of Egypt and bring them back and it was 400 years. Or whether it was 40 years in the wilderness. Or whether it was, uh, it was uh, a guy by the name of, of, of Joseph who God had given him a dream at 18. But it wasn't until he was 30 before he actually saw that dream fulfilled. David had to wait, anointed crown king, and yet had to wait before he actually saw it being chased around. Waiting is a part of it, so much so that in the New Testament, we see that God is not slow concerning his promises. <laughs> He's not slow concerning his promises. Why would I have to say that? Because none of us like waiting. None of us like waiting. Yet waiting is one of those things. So today I want to talk about wait by faith, waiting by faith. What does it mean to wait by faith? So we're going to look at Abraham again. We looked at him last week, but we're going to look at another part of his life today in Hebrews chapter 11 as we're digging deeper into the illustrations of those who were highlighted because they demonstrated faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And as we shared, faith is only as good as the substance to which you put your faith in. Faith is not a, just a hope against the wind. Faith is put into a substance, and the substance for the believer is the word of God. People who put their faith in God took God at his word. Abel worshipped by faith. Enoch walked by faith. Noah worked by faith. And last week we looked at Abraham who began a journey of faith. And so today we're going to take a look at that journey because rather than a sprint, it was a long journey. It was a pilgrimage, and there was some waiting that was involved before he experienced the promises of God. Hebrews 11.8, we want to go back there today. Hebrews 11.8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And so last week we shared that Abraham took God at his word. When God said, I want you to go, he left his inheritance behind. He picked up his family. He picked up his stuff, and he relocated. And his wife said, Abraham, where are we going? He goes, I don't know. We'll know when we get there. Wives, how many will be good at that? <laughs> I don't know. We'll know when we get there. Wait a minute. Hold on. Nope, God said just to go. He's got a land awaiting for us. We're just going to pick up and we're going to go. And so faith always involves leaving behind an old way for a greater promise that God has made in his word. Hebrews 11.10, let's skip over verse 9. It says, for he waited for the city which, which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. 
And there's that word again, wait. In fact, not just waiting for the city of God, but there was another promise that was also made. So wasn't, he wasn't just waiting for a land or waiting for, for the city later on, but there was another promise. And we find that promise in Genesis chapter 12, and that's the Old Testament where we find the stories involved in Abraham starting in Genesis chapter 12 and the chapters that follow. And we're going to delve into that today. But Genesis 12 too tells us the other promise, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now that's a wonderful promise, and, and what made that promise even more special was the fact that Abraham, or Abram, as he's called in Genesis chapter 12, and Sarah, or his wife Sarai, who's called by that in Genesis chapter 12, have a problem. They have not been able to have children. Sarai, Sarah, has not been able to conceive. Abraham, at this point in his life, is 75 years old. Sarah is 65 years old, and so far they have not been able to conceive or have a child. And so they are given this promise, and more than anything else, Abraham wants an heir. We'll see it throughout. Abraham wants an heir, and, and God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And he goes, sounds good to me, but it's not going to happen today, and it's not going to happen tomorrow. In fact, what we find in Scripture is the promise didn't come true for 24 years years think about it Abraham was already 75 Sarah was already 65 we're saying okay Lord the time the clock my my biological clock is ticking what are you waiting so long for we got to hurry this thing up God don't you know we got to hurry it up God I don't know we got we got to get moving but God not today not tomorrow 24 years later how many know that's waiting that's waiting. Why does God make us wait to receive what he has promised? I mean, I think every one of us, if we've been serving God for any length of time, we know that there are some promises of God that just seem to take forever. There are some things that we pray and that those prayers are not answered right away. God, why do you make us wait? Why do we have to go through the waiting time? Well, I want to let one theme permeate through your mind as we begin to answer this question about why God makes us wait. And I want you to think about this one, this one thought. Waiting time is never wasted time. Waiting time is never wasted time. Or as Ben Patterson paraphrased, what God does in us while we wait is as important as what we are waiting for, as what it is that we're waiting for. What God does in us while we wait is as important as what it is that we are waiting for. So if we follow the journey of, that Abraham was on, we see the waiting time, and we see that God was actually doing a work. He was in the waiting time. He was doing a work in Abraham. He was doing a work in Sarah. He was orchestrating a much larger plan, and he was actually using the waiting time to even grow their faith more and to weed out some things in their lives. Now, when we read the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, I focused on the area of the substance of things hoped for. However, the second part of it says the evidence of things unseen. In other words, they went out on a promise, and they went out even though they didn't see how this was going to be possible, how this was going to come. They did not know the how. They knew the what that God had promised, but they did not know the how that God was going to do it. It was unseen, and yet what we see in the definition of faith is that oftentimes God will tell us to do something in his word he'll tell us to step out or be obedient and we're like mm, okay but I don't know how you're going to possibly do this it's unseen and faith is stepping out on the evidence of things unseen and God uses a series of events to grow Abraham and Sarah's faith so what do we do what, what do we learn in the waiting well, the first thing that I want to highlight that we learn in the waiting is we learn to rely on the Lord's provision and protection. We learn to rely on the Lord's provision and protection. We touched on this last week, but I want to touch on it again because I think it's so important. Abraham and Sarah, they leave everything on a promise, and they're walking along, and they're going along, and then all of a sudden, they, God, they get there to this area called Canaan, this region called Canaan, and God says, whoa, 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 stop. This is it. This is the land that I'm going to. To give you but the problem is is that when God says this is it the land is not vacant 
They're not, a, they're, they're, they're not alone in the land. It's not vacant. There are people groups in the land. There are other nations that are in the land. There are other people that are occupying the land. And you've got to understand that Abraham is not from around here. He is a foreigner who has showed up. And how many of you know if you're a foreigner coming and somebody has already occupied land and all of a sudden you show up on their land, they're going, who are you and what are you here for? That's dangerous. God, how can this be my land? There are people in the land. There are nations in the land. And shortly after occupying and showing up in the land, there's a famine that hits. We talked about this last week. This had to be a huge disappointment. Following the series of events, God was waiting. And, and, and what he's showing things about Abraham's character in the waiting. So we see Genesis 12, 11 to 13. We see what happens. There's a famine in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt... They decide they're going to go to Egypt to prepare. And while they enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me. But they will let you live. Say you're my sister and it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. What, what do we see here? Well, he isn't completely lying. Sarah is actually his half-sister by, by a, a, a different... Uh, fa different father, di they're, they're actually a half-sister. So he wasn't completely lying, but at the same time, what do we see? God had called him out and said, this is your land. But when a famine comes in, all of a sudden there's a detour, and Abraham says, you know what? <laughs> all right, God, we, we followed you, but I got to provide for my family. We got to do something. I got to provide for my family. I got to take care of my family. Men, how many would say that? I got to take care of my family. Ladies, if you're, if you're thinking, i got to take care of my family, we got to take care of our family. There's a famine. What are we going to do? we got to do something. we got to figure out something. You know what I hear? There's not a famine in Egypt. Let's go to Egypt. But here's the problem. We go into Egypt. Sarah, you're very beautiful. They might kill me. And so what we see is a fear inside of Abraham. There's a fear inside of him. There's a fear. And so what does he do? He works up a scheme to tell a half-truth. But in doing so, what is he doing? He is putting the very promise of God at risk. By taking some matters into his own hands, by trying to do things in his own way, by doing the manipulating and the scheming and all of that, what we see inside of Abraham is this fear, this, this, I, this issue of insecurity. How many of you find that sometimes you struggle with insecurity? Would anybody, would anybody admit to that? We don't like to admit to that. I'm a very secure person. I don't have any fears. But let me tell you something, when what you thought it would be isn't what it was, there are insecurities that can begin to rise up, and it can test our faith in whether we truly trust God or not. Fear and insecurity are one of those things that can cause us that when we have left all to follow God, when we have begun to walk a walk of obedience, and all of a sudden the provision isn't there, or we fear that the protection might be there, when fear and insecurity come, here's the byproduct of that. The byproduct is, okay, what can I do about this? God, you aren't coming through. What can I do about this? And so what does Abraham do? He goes, well, we're going to go down to Egypt, all right, for a little while. We'll just go down there for a little while. But while we're down there, I'm afraid for my life. I'm not certain that God can truly protect me here. I'm not sure that, that that'll be what's going to happen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell a half-truth, all right? You just tell him you're my sister. Don't tell him we're actually married, all right? Don't tell him that. And by doing that, he puts the promise of God at risk. You see, what ends up happening is, is that they do see that that she's beautiful, and rather than know that she's his wife, she's my sister, they, they begin to take her in to the palace. They begin to take her in into the harem. She's, she's one of the, the people that are in the harem, and all of a sudden, uh, God steps in. How many know that God can protect his promise? Even in our stupidity. <laughs> Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Now, I'm not saying that you take that risk. I'm not saying you put the Lord to a foolish test, but in this situation... When Abraham begins to try to do something stupid, God says, whoa, 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 let me offer you my grace and mercy here, all right? I'm going to step in and make sure that, that you don't lose out on my promise. And so he begins to inflict uh, all kinds of, uh, 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 of things upon Pharaoh and, and his household, and they go, what is this all for? And it comes out. The truth comes out. Whoa, hey now. <laughs> okay, uh, she's really your wife. Why didn't you say that? And Abraham is humbled. He's humbled and he's sent back to Canaan. 
Abraham had enough faith to leave, but he struggled with fear. And so what do you end up doing? When you struggle with fear, what do you do? You take back control. And you know, that's, a, that's, that's what happens in the journey of faith, is that oftentimes when you start to struggle with fear, when what isn't happening quick enough, when you're in the waiting and God's not answering the way you think, you begin to take back control. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take back control. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it. And when you take back control, oftentimes, that's when you find yourself in a bit of a mess. Anybody ever been that, that, that way before? So Abraham felt that he needed to go to Egypt. Fear and control got in the way. But God, by his grace, spared him. And, and, and spared him in that he didn't let the promise be thwarted, but didn't spare him the humility. Anybody ever found that when you take back control, you end up being humbled? Yeah, I can do it. Why? Because what's at stake is a pride issue. When you're really struggling with insecurity, you begin to look at self-security. And when you begin to look at self-security, you will get a little bit of pride. I can take care of myself. I can do it myself. I don't need you. I can provide. I can do this. I can, I can, I can, I can. And then when you can't and life gets out of control and life gets to be a bit of a mess and you throw up your hands and say, God, why, why, why? God says, because I want to show you that you're not in control, that it's not by your power, that it's not by your might, don't trust in horses, don't trust in chariots, don't trust in your own abilities, learn how to trust in me. Learn how to trust in me. And the only way to do that is to get humbled. There's a humility thing, and that's what we see as a humility thing and a control thing. Now let me tell you, when they get back to Canaan, Following that story, Genesis 13 tells that, that Abraham and his nephew Lot all of a sudden have some family conflict. You see, when they're coming back from Egypt, the Pharaoh had said, you know what, hey, I, I'm just going to give you a bunch of stuff. Get out of here. I'm going to try to atone for what this is, and I'm just giving you. And so there was some wealth that came along with it as they went back. God bless. I don't even understand why, but he did that. And what happened is there was some conflict that began to happen between Abraham and and Lot, and we see that conflict. They were just getting larger, and the land couldn't support both of them. And so wanting to, to kind of settle things, Abraham gets Lot together, and they say, okay, let's come up with a solution. And Abraham proposes a solution. Genesis 13, 9 to 11. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around. He saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered. Remember, there was, a, there was a famine going on. That was the whole reason they went down to Egypt. So, okay, well, what kind of land? What do you want? If you go this way, I'll go this way. I'm, I'm going to give you the choice. And what does Lot do? Mm, I see the well watered land. That's the easy road. That's the well watered land. That's the easy road. Man, that was like the land of Egypt. Why do they put that in there? Because that's where they just came from. This is before Sodom and Gomorrah had been had been destroyed. And what does Lot do? Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, set out toward the east. Two men parted company. Now here's what I find interesting about this. This is what I find about waiting. And in the waiting time, God begins to do some things inside of us to our faith and to our character. God begins to grow us. Why do I say that? Well, Lot, man, he's looking for the easy road. He's going to choose everything. And it's not really his inheritance. God didn't promise Lot the land. God promised Abraham the land. He didn't promise Lot. Abraham did not have to say, Lot, you choose first. He could have said, this is the land I want. You go that way and get out of here because, you know what, this wasn't your promise anyway. But he doesn't do that. What's he do? Lot, you choose. And I'm going to trust God with what's left over. The control issue that he had before, the fear in the famine, the fear in the provision the fear regarding the protection, all of a sudden, Abraham is different, and he says, you know what, I tried that control thing, and that got me in trouble. You know what, Lot, you choose, and I'll take what's left. You choose, and I'll take what's left. And what happens? When he gives up control, what happens? Look at verse 14, Genesis 13 and verse 14. I love this. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from, look around from where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west. All the land that you see, I'll give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring, look at this, like the dust of the earth. That if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. 
What about the dust? The dust represented what? The famine. In the midst of the famine, God was saying, you know what? Take a look in the midst of that because out of that, this is what I'm going to make you. This is the promise. I made that promise to you. I'm reinforcing that promise to you. You gave up control, and you're trusting me, and guess what? This is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to do for you. Are some of you getting this this morning? Come on. In the waiting, go and walk the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. When Abraham looked to God for his provision, instead of trying to provide for himself, God renewed his promise. But when he went to Egypt and he lied about his wife, Sarah, he was humiliated. Sometimes the Lord wants us to wait on a promise so he can prepare us for the promise. God has, he wants to, he wants to prepare. We're not ready for the promise yet. We're not ready because if we got everything, if we got the promise, if we got the fullness before we had a chance to work on some of the character issues and the things, we would turn and we would start to worship the promise rather than the promiser. And unfortunately, that is sometimes what happens when God doesn't make us wait, when we haven't had to pay a price, when we haven't had to wait, when we haven't had to earn it, then when we get it, we don't know what to do with it. And we end up worshiping the promise and idolizing the promise more than God. God takes it away and we get angry at him, kind of like Jonah. Jonah, in chapter 4 of Jonah, after the whole thing goes and preaches and Nineveh repents, you would think that the evangelist would go, wow, look at that altar call. Everybody repented. But instead he's, oh, Lord, I knew you would do this. That's why I didn't want to go in the first place. I knew you, you're gracious and your loving kindness and you're merciful. And I, I knew it. And he's sitting there watching. I'm going to wait and see what happens. The destruction going to come. The destruction is not coming. And it's hot outside. And, oh, it's so hot. And then God provides a little tree to grow up, a little plant to grow up, provide some shade. And he's like, oh, man, this is good. And then God takes the shade away. And, oh, I'm cursing God. What's wrong? That's where some of us are at. We weren't ready for the promise. We weren't ready for what God provided. We weren't good stewards of it. We weren't grateful. So God takes away the promise because he doesn't want us worshiping the promise and not the promiser. And then we get mad at him. Why'd you take that away? What's wrong with you? You're not loving Sorry, that's just where we're at. Waiting prepares us for the promise. Fear and control don't go easily away, but when you wait, when you wait, you've got to surrender control. Lord, I surrender the control. I surrender the control of the timing. I surrender the control of things I don't see, I don't understand. I, I know you're doing something in me in the waiting. I don't understand it, but you're doing something in the waiting. You're preparing something in the waiting. But the longer we wait, the more we can become discouraged. And we can struggle to believe that God will bring about what he has promised. Secondly, what do we do? What do we, what do we learn in the waiting? Not only do not only we learn to, to wait about God's protection and his provision, but God teaches us the foolishness of trying to accomplish God's ends through our means. God's ends through our means. So after waiting about 10 years, still not being able to conceive, Abraham and Sarah grow impatient. God had given a promise, and Sarah knows Abraham wants a child more than anything else. That's what he, that's what he wants, and she wants to give it to him. She wants a child, too. So, so what do they do? Well, you know, God, we've been waiting 10 years. You promised us. Maybe we're just not getting it. Maybe there's some, something that we need to do to help you out. Maybe there's something we can, we can do. And so they come up with this not-so-brilliant idea in Genesis 16, 1-4. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Notice an Egyptian slave. Where did they go when they tried to take control? Egypt, an Egyptian slave named Hagar. See, it just kind of comes with you. You got to be careful of those things that stick with you from decisions you've made, and then they come into the new decisions, and you got, you got their temptations you got to be careful of. That's extra this morning, by the way. And what'd she say? <laughs> she said, I named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can have a family through her. And Abram agreed to Sarai, what Sarai had said. So Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years. Sarai took, her, took his wife to her, or Sarai, his wife took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be with her. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. 
Now listen, in a day and age where in many circles, many things, this, maybe they had seen this as they went into Canaan. They had saw this as a practice. This was a surrogate practice. Well, I'm unable to conceive, so I'll have someone else that can conceive for me. In a day and age, maybe that was a, a normal thing, but that was not God's plan. That was not God's plan. Just because there is something that is culturally okay to the culture does not mean that it's biblically okay. There are a lot of things today that are culturally accepted, that are the cultural norms, but they don't necessarily mean that they're a part of God's plan or God's way. There are things that are in our culture today that they'll tell you are normal. That's just the normal way. That's just the normal dating process. That's just the normal identity process. That's just the normal. This is the norm. This is the norm. This is the norm. But it's not the biblical norm. And when we're following God's plan... The question is, do we try to bring about what we're not willing to wait for by going outside of God's will to bring about God's will? And that's what was happening. The danger was that God wasn't answering. And so they were going to try to accomplish God's will by going outside of God's will. And so she says, well, here's... Here's my maid, go ahead and do that. And, and when God isn't answering, how can we bring it about? There's got to be a way we can bring it about. After all, God wants me to be happy. God wants to bless me. God wants to do this for me. The problem comes in is when you don't wait for God to do it, but you go outside of God's will to try to bring about God's will. And when you do that, trouble comes. And what happens? Well, when Hagar conceives, she thinks, I'm, I'm no longer a slave. I'm a wife. <laughs> Sarah, yeah, you're a wife, but I'm a wife too. And you know what? You weren't able to conceive. I was able to conceive. And she gets a little bit full of herself. She gets a little full of herself. And she starts mistreating. She starts mistreating Sarah. Well, how many of you know Sarah ain't going to put up with that? Right? Two wives in the same household? That's trouble. All right? Ladies, even you got to agree with me on that. Come on now. Right? And so then Sarah's like, you got to do something. Get her out of here. I don't want to do that. Wait a minute. You out? You're the one that said to do this. Abraham, wait a minute. You said to do this. You agreed. You should have told me not to. You should have known better. Wait a minute. Right? Now we got all this trouble. You need to send her away. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Trouble all the way down to Ishmael. And later on, Isaac that we'll talk about, Ishmael and I. There's still problems today. Why? Because it is foolishness, it is foolishness to bring about God's will by going outside of his will. That is foolishness. To go around God, to, to try to manipulate it, to try to, to try to bring it about, to try to do it. No, God says, I want you to wait on me. Stand still and wait on me. Now, waiting is not, it's not just not sitting around not doing anything. All right? There are things. There are biblical things that you can do. All right, there are biblical things you can do, but you don't go outside of God's will to try to bring about his will. That is foolishness, and that's what we learn from the story in the waiting. Second, or thirdly, what do we learn in the waiting? God reminds us not to limit him to what we think is possible. In Genesis 15, Abraham is still waiting for the promised heir. We're going to back up a little bit, and then we'll get to where, where we just were. He and Sarah, they're not getting any younger in years. And Abraham begins to get discouraged. In Genesis 15, 1 to 3, it says this, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward. So there it is, the protection, the, the fear. There's the fear inside of Abram. This is something that we see throughout the story is, is a kind of a fear that God is trying to satisfy. And here's, here's where we get it. What is the fear? Uh, you know, I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward. But here's Abram. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abram's saying, you know what, Lord, I'm tired of this waiting thing. And you know what, what I want more than anything, you're saying, Abram, I'm your very great reward. Well, if you're my very great reward, how come you're not giving me what I want most? And what I want most is an heir. And right now, I don't have an heir. And that nephew, lot of mine, whose dad had passed away, my brother, and he had come with me. You know what? I thought maybe he could be my heir. But you know what? He's turned out to be, he's turned out to be quite foolish himself. You know, he all went down all that. Sodom and Gomorrah, he chose all that well-watered, 
thing down there. He hasn't had anything to do with us. In fact, he keeps getting himself in trouble, and I have to go and rescue him. I got to go and rescue him. And that was after. This promise came after. He went out and rescued him because Sodom and Gomorrah had been taken, and Lot had been taken because Lot was getting too close to the sin. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. And Abraham's like, I'm tired of rescuing him. He doesn't manage what he has well. I'm not, he's not going to be my heir. So the only heir I have left is my servant, Eleazar, because you, you haven't given me what you promised. I'm getting old. Sarah's getting old, and I don't see how this is even possible. Anybody ever felt like that before? Right? When the present realities outweigh our faith in the Lord, when we find ourselves putting the promises of God in a box, and so in the waiting, this is a chance for God to renew his promise. And what does he do? He says, Abram, you got to get out of your limitations and you got to look up. Here it is, 15, Genesis 15, 4 through 6. The word of the Lord came to him, and this man will not be your heir, but a son whom is from your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and credited to him as righteousness. You know what I love about this? Before it was the famine. That was the fear. The fear was the famine. And he said, I want you to see the dust. That dust, that famine, I want you to see what I can turn that into. I can turn that into the descendants. I can turn that into promises. Now he says to him, you know what? You're in your tent, and you have a limited view. You are, you are stuck looking at the ceiling of this tent, and all you can see is what I can't do. All you can see are the present limitations. Listen. Get outside the tent for a moment. Look up at the stars. You see those stars? I created those stars. And if I created those stars, don't put limits on me and what I can do. Don't put limits on me. Get out of the tent and look up. Quit looking at the limits and start looking at me. For I'm the God of creation. I'm the God of creation. Waiting on God teaches us that God is not just the God of the what, but he's the God of the how. He isn't just going to tell you what. He's the God who can bring about what he has promised. Later, Abraham is reminded again not to limit God to what we think uh, is impossible. Genesis 17, God appears to Abraham again and he make a covenant with him. And in this passage, this is where he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And he changes Sarah's, wife, Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. And these name changes would indicate that God is going to promise a child through Sarah. Now, this, is, this happens after Ishmael, okay? This is, a, this is something that happens, Ishmael. And, and, and so if we look in this, Genesis chapter 7 and verse 17, here, here's what we find. It says, Abraham fell face down and he laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at age 90? And he laughed to himself. How many have ever looked at something in the reality, the present reality, and it looks impossible? And, and, and you're like, gosh, that, that is hilarious, God. How can that ever happen? That is just funny. I mean, it's just so impossible. Abraham just laughed. This is absurd that, that you're going to bring about the promise now. You promised me 24 years ago, 23 years ago, because it hadn't happened. You promised me that this would happen, and I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Then, I, that would have been great. But now, I mean, that would have miracle then. But now, Lord, I'm, I'm 100. Sarah's 90. Like, Really? Now? Now? Now you're telling me you're going to do this? Now? Come on, God. And, and, and beyond that, I mean, that's limit, right? That's limits. But beyond that, this is what he says in, in verse 18. I didn't write this down, and I, I kept wrestling with whether to do it, but I feel like it today. Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Here's the problem. Sometimes we want to settle for what we can bring about in our own strength instead of waiting for what God wants to bring about in his strength. There are some of you that want to settle there. God has made you a promise. You've taken a detour, and you just kind, of just kind of got yourself all satisfied just in what you brought about. And God says, I got something better for you. Why are you wanting, why are you wanting something less than what I have for you? You want something less than what I have for you. I'm not blessing Ishmael. That didn't come about my, my way. You try to accomplish that your own way by going outside of my will. I'm not in that. I'm not blessing that. Some of you, you're angry at God because God's not blessing what you brought about by your own hand because you haven't waited for him to bring it about. You, you've tried to manipulate. You try to bring it about. And you're saying, okay, God, here's what I have. I have this. I'm satisfied with this. I'm good with this. Bless it. And God's saying, I'm not blessing that. I'm not blessing that. That's not my will. That's not what I desire for you. That's not what I have for you. I'm not blessing that. I'm not blessing that. Here's what I want to bring about. But God, that seems impossible. Really? You're going to do that now? 
I mean, how are we going to have enough strength? I mean, she's 90, I'm 100. I mean, what are we going to be as parents? Like, seriously, God, what? He says, no, 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 I got a bigger plan. I got a better plan. I'm going to show you something impossible. I'm going to show you why, because this is what he says in, in Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, that's the question, isn't it? Is anything too hard for the Lord? We can think of all kinds of reasons in the waiting why It's just not going to happen. God's not going to do it. But God is reminding us today that nothing is impossible with God. Not only is he the God of the what, he's the God of the how. He's able to do what he says he's able to do. And, it, and, and, and what we find is, 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 is that, that somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, not only is Abraham in the hall of faith, but Sarah's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Sarah's in there. Somewhere along the line, the limits that Sarah had on as to what God could and couldn't do, those limits come off. Now, I want you to stay with me. I've been talking and some of you are falling asleep. I need you to wake up right now because I'm about to, I'm about to rock your world. All right? Hebrews 11, 11, and 12. By faith, Sarah herself also received the strength to conceive. Look at, she received the strength, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars in the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand uh, which is by the seashore. Now listen, that was part of the promise, wasn't it? And that, that's what happened. By faith, she trusted somewhere, the, somewhere along the line. Now, there are two events that happen in between this. Two events that happened before Sarah conceived. Two events that happened. One is Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. What was God doing? God was demonstrating his power, that he had the very power to take people out of the land that were in the land because of their sinfulness, that he could bring about judgment and he could, he could make a way. All right, that was one of the promises. The second came at a, something, a similar thing. Abraham goes down to Egypt. We read about it earlier. And what does he say? Hey, hey, I'm a little worried about they're going to think, you're, they're gonna think you know, you're really beautiful. And if I say you're my wife, they might kill me. And, and so they go down to Egypt. And you think he would have learned his lesson, but he doesn't. He doesn't. How many of you ever not learned your lesson before? You've gone around that track again. You made the sit, you gone around the track again. That's what happens right here. So stick with me here. There's, a, there, there's this thing, and, and, and it happens in Genesis chapter 20. Abraham and Abimelech, Abraham decides to move. Remember, he's a pilgrim. He's intense. He hasn't really stationed. So he moves south. He moves into this, this new area, this new territory, and there's a king there by the name of Abimelech who is living with his people. And once again, Abraham's afraid they're going to kill him. And so he says to Sarah, who's near 90 years of age, and he says, You're beautiful. And they're going to find you beautiful, and they're going to kill me. And I kind of, you know, she must have been a looker at 90. I am telling you. Man, I mean, she must, yeah, there must have been something there. I'm not sure what it is. So they do this whole charade again. You're my sister, whatever. And Abimelech takes, him in, takes her into the harem, and something happens. Abimelech has a dream. All right, I'm not going to read all the scriptures. I don't have time for it. You can read it yourself. It's, it's in Genesis chapter 20. He has a dream. And in the dream, God says, listen, don't touch that woman. She's, she is married to Abraham. Don't touch don't touch that woman. Do not touch her. Or you're going to die. All your people are going to die unless you return. He goes, whoa, hold up, God. I didn't do this. I did not know. I didn't know. He lied to me. I didn't, I didn't know, God. Whoa. Why are you mad at me? What are you mad? You know he lied. Why are you mad at me? And God says, listen, I'm telling you, don't, don't touch that woman. And so what's he do? He goes back and he says to, to Abraham, hey, what are you doing to me, man? What are you doing? I'm almost killed. Why did you tell me that? And he said, well, I, Abraham, I didn't think you'd fear God. And he said, I, me not fear God. He's your God. You obviously don't fear because you're lying to me. You know, I don't know if that's how the conversation went, but that's what I'd be saying. Like, what in the world, man? Yeah, you know, I know that I'm like not, but I, I yeah, this is real stuff here. And hey, and so, so what happens is Abraham has to pray for them. And, and you know, when it comes to forgiveness... There's a New Testament principle here. When somebody has done something to offend you, the Bible says, what do you do to your enemies? You pray for your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Why? Because there's healing for you and there's healing for them. If you have them in hold, where un unforgiveness, you're, you're holding them back. All right, but here it is. So, so look at this. This is what I wanted to get to. This is the important part. Genesis 20, 17, 18. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. What did he heal in them? They bore children, for the Lord had closed up all their wombs and of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Now, why do I say that? What unlocked the door of faith? 
for Sarah at age 90 to trust and believe that God could bring about what he practiced because she saw right there demonstrated that God opens and God closes wombs at his command. God opens and he closes wombs. And if God can do that, then maybe God can do that for me. What do we learn in the waiting? We learn about God's power in the waiting. We learn to see God's power. We learn to see that he's not just the God of the what, but he's the God of the how. Is there anything too difficult for me, says the Lord. There are some of you, you've been waiting and waiting, and you're thinking, I just don't, I don't see how God is going to bring this about. Listen, it may not come the way you think. God is always bringing about things outside of the way that we think, outside of the natural means. Don't get ahead of God. Wait on him. Don't let the facts get in the way of your faith. Don't limit God with what, to what you can see. Abraham and Sarah have a lot to teach us on waiting on God, don't they? We learn that trusting God means we often have to leave the familiar and comfortable. We're reminded of the foolishness of trying to accomplish God's ends through our own means. And we learn not to limit God to what we think is possible. Much of what we learn is, is a not what to do. But Abraham and Sarah, it says, believe the Lord. And it was credited to them as righteousness. That Abraham, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as right. He took God at his word. He took God at his word. And I want to encourage you, friends, don't forget that, that, that you can take God at his word. You can take God. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. In the book, The Meaning, of the Wait, the meaning is in the waiting. The author writes this, Abraham and Sarah become symbols for us, not only of faith, but also of waiting, of waiting as an essential part of the journey with God, of waiting being vital for the proper unfolding of God's plan, and of waiting being as important uh, as, as that for which we wait. God summons us to go out, but does not always tell us where or why, but that, w but that we must wait, but we can sometimes discover a meaning in the waiting. One of the major elements is learning how to wait on the Lord. We see that as a part of faith. And I want to encourage you, don't get impatient. Don't get impatient. Don't try to go outside of God's will to bring about God's will. But we're supposed to be married. So wait. Wait. Don't jump ahead. You know what I'm saying without me saying it. There's little kids in here. We do have kids ministry and nursery. Wait. Learn to wait on the Lord because he can bring about what he has promised. Now, let me close with one final illustration. Worship team, you can come. Henry Nouwen, an author and, and really uh, just somebody who is just one of these guys you look to spiritual insight. In his book, Sabbatical Journeys, he writes about some friends who were trapeze artists. They were with the circus and their lives had an effect on him. They were called the Flying Rodellis. And one thing they told Henry Nowen is that there's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher of the trapeze. The flyer is the one who has to let go, and the catcher is the one who catches, obviously, right? <laughs> As you might imagine, this relationship is important, especially to the flyer. Because when the flyer is swinging high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he must let go. The moment comes when he must let go, Right? And so there he is, can you imagine letting go high above the crowd, letting go, and he arcs into the air, and his job as the flyer, this is what the job is, is to remain as still as possible, as still as possible, and wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck him from the air. The trapeze artist told now in this, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. There are some of you, you're the flyer right now. You have let go and you are waiting for God to catch you and it is scary. As you're trying to stay as still as possible, you're getting restless and you're wanting to, you're wanting to try to catch the catcher. You're wanting to try to grab onto something. You're wanting to try to wiggle and God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Don't get all fretful. Don't get all fearful. Don't get all flailing around. I'm going to catch you. Wait on me. Wait on me. Wait on me. Wait on the Lord. Because God's going to open some doors. God's going to do some things. But you've got to wait on him. So the question is, are you willing to wait 
on the Lord? Will you wait with absolute trust? Will you be patient? Will you learn to trust the Lord in the waiting? Let's bow our heads this morning. Hallelujah. I just want to, with our heads bowed today, you're in that place of waiting. Maybe that's you this morning. You're in that place of waiting. There is just something you've let go. You've started a journey with the Lord, but you're just having a hard time waiting. It just seems as if the, uh, the bill's going to get paid, or is this going to come through? Uh, you know, or, or what, 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 what's, you're in the waiting time. God, I'm waiting on an answer. I'm praying, and the, and the answer hasn't come, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting, and that's you. You're in the waiting, and you say, Pastor, will you pray for me in the waiting? Will you pray that I have peace to wait? Will you pray that my faith will be strengthened in the waiting? If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I'm in the waiting. I'm in the waiting. Yeah, right all around, all around this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to tell the Lord one more time in prayer, Lord, this is what I'm waiting on. Lord, this is what I'm waiting on. It's personal to you. I want you to pray right now personally. Lord, this is what I'm waiting on. And then I want you to listen because God wants to speak to you. God wants to, to encourage you today. He's going to catch you. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, there are many who are in the waiting right now. There are things they are waiting on. There are things, there are promises, there are prayers that they have been praying that haven't been answered. There are things, Lord, that they believe that you have promised, that they have stepped out. But, Father, the answer has not come yet. There's waiting. It's just waiting. God, you said this. God, you said you would do this. I'm not seeing it. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for your peace. I pray for your encouragement. I pray that you would reinforce what you said you would do. I pray that you would speak, Lord, to these who's, who, who are struggling in the waiting. That, God, you will speak. And as you have done with Abraham over and over, you will begin to take the limits off. And you will begin to remind of the promise. You will bring about your peace as we wait on you. For as we wait on you, you renew our strength. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for renewed strength in the waiting. Renewed strength in the waiting. I pray that whatever you're wanting to do in us in the waiting, that, Father, you would begin to do that. Whatever character issues you are in the process of forming and shaping, things that you're beginning to stir, maybe, Lord, you want us to see a demonstration of your power. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would just, you would just give that peace today in the waiting. Give that peace in the waiting. Give that strength in the waiting. We thank you, Lord. And we bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, why don't we stand and let's just worship. Let's look up. Let's get our eyes up off our circumstances, off our situation, and let's begin to magnify the Lord and make him great as we close today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.